Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and I am your host, and Simon is here as my co-host. Hello. As usual. How are you today? How's it going? Uh, I, it's, uh, we, I was out last night, and I'm 46, so apparently I need a whole, like, a couple of days to recover from having uh, two beers and two glasses of wine and some food in a very gentle uh, book club meeting. Um, uh, four four drinks at at this age. I don't <laughs> four, four <laughs> drinks, and I was in bed by eleven, and I'm still wake up like, oh my fucking god, I'm gonna die. <laughs> um, but I guess that's my life right now. I uh, we have a treadmill now, and so um, I it's I'm very out of it to try and not get fit. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it's from now on, then I, I expect that you'll be recording whilst on the treadmill. Just be I walking away. Well, if so you want, on the next episode, listeners, if you hear like this, like, <laughs> and this like wheezing sound, that's that's going to be Simon on the treadmill. I mean, in this house, that could be a number of things. But it's, it's, we <laughs> just, yeah, wheezing There's a, and crying. <laughs> Wheezing and crying. Title of your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm. Um, we got rid of our. I bought a. Apparently, it's called a div bar. I'm told it's basically a a chin up bar that you don't put on your door. It's an entire frame for pull ups and chin ups and stuff. And I bought this two years ago. My wife said, "You know, is this going? I hope this isn't going to be one of the things you buy and use once, and then it just takes up space." <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. I'm going to use it all the time. I'm going to yeah. get ripped. And, um, and, and used it, it turns twice. Out, turns out she, no, no, I used it once. Like, <laughs> it turns out she was, turns out she was right. And so, um, my friend offered me a treadmill and he wanted this div bar. So, uh, we just did a straight swap. So now we have a treadmill. And in the last 24 hours, my daughter's used it twice. My wife's used it twice. I've used it a few times. And my son used it. For two hours straight on this treadmill, and he came off this thing looking like he was about to pass out. And the calorie counter said one thousand calories, which is half the intake of a child. So he's just a little nuclear fusion generator. So I guess we've already got more use out of it in a day than my entire div bar. But at some point, I'm going to have to um, try and get my body back to any kind of fitness level, like any basic, basic kind of fitness. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> well, we have the we have the advantage in that um, I'm tall and you're taller, and when you are tall, the weight gain is a lot harder to <laughs> to kind of hide in uh, in your in your frame generally. So I'm not sure how much hiding I can do for much longer. But uh, I mean, I I can barely hide it at this point, so it doesn't. <laughs> so come over and use my treadmill anytime you want. I can rest my iPad on the little shelf it comes with, and you can watch a show and wheeze along. Just, what's what I'm going to be doing? Does seem like a lot of work, though. It does. It really does. But yeah. how are you? How's things with you? What have you been up to? Oh, uh, things are things are okay. Um, watching a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, you know, I don't. I'm not going to talk about this at length, but dealing with an ongoing quest for change of employment is a thing in this economy. And, um, but yeah, watching lots of stuff. The Independent Spirit Awards were last night, which was interesting. Um, I think I told you, but um, 
uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I believe was on both of our best of the year list, uh, swept every award that it was mm-hmm. nominated for, uh, and set a record most most awards for a single film in Independent Spirit Award history, which is kind of incredible. Um, next week uh, seems like it's the strong front runner for the Best Picture mm-hmm. Oscar at this point. And just a reminder, uh, we'll be live blogging the Oscars when they uh, magically appear next Sunday. So we that's can true. Angry at, angry at Tar winning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it will. I think so. Last night, Tar won Best Screenplay, which I think is fine. Yeah, um, fine. But the, Daniel, the Daniels won Best Director, and Michelle Yeoh won Best Actress. And those are sort of the three that it has any kind of chance at. Um, and honestly, I would, I would, I'm not going to get upset. I don't think it's an undeserving win. I was just kind of hoping that Sarah Polly would win for, for best screenplay. Um, but she, she won the Robert Altman award, uh, which is given to a director and casting crew so, of like a, of a great, on, of the best ensemble of the year. So, so you're talking about women talking, right? Women. Yeah. Talking. Women talking. Right. Yeah. I really need to, I feel like I should watch that before next Sunday. That should be something. There's a, a few of the best picture, all, all the big films that are talked about, I a few I've missed, I, I think I should probably catch up with. Which ones do you have you missed, do you think? Um, so, Women Talking, I'll watch. After Sun, I'm not going to watch, because I can't, I know I know enough about After Sun to know that it would, like, it is so, laser-guided, so as, constructed as to destroy me. As your friend, I will tell you that After Sun is indeed one of the best films of the year, and also it would reach down your throat and into your heart and pull out emotions you're not prepared to feel. And I have a title, Daddy, like, I've got a daughter, and she has me wrapped around her little finger. I I don't need, I don't need to, (laughs) I can't watch that movie. (laughs) I already know too much about that movie to watch it. Well, so just... Sorry, Paul Mezcal is fantastic, so I would like to watch it. And the the young actress who whose name I don't know, the thirteen year old, is meant to be Frankie Coiro. Coiro, right. Coiro. Yeah. So I'd like to, but I'm not going. Yeah, she won. Um, you best youth perform. Best. I'm not thought she won something. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen all of the best picture? Let I me mean, let's just do our our five minute Oscar uh, preview. Have you sure, seen sure. all of the best? Um, all the best picture nominees. So those would be just for the record: All Quiet, Avatar, Yes, Banshees of Inisherin, no. yes. uh, Elvis, uh, Everything Everywhere, yes. Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, no. Tar, Top Gun, Yeah, Yeah, uh, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So it sounds yeah. like you've seen like six. You've right. seen six I've of the ten. My, I I feel like I've seen more than I usually have at this point. I, the big yeah. one I should watch are women talking in the Fable ones. I feel like um, I'm not going to see. I'm not going to be able to see Avatar before next Sunday. I just don't have four hours of my life available to go and sit in a cinema. Um, oh, don't be ridiculous! It's only three and a half, <laughs> uh, and the cost of it as well. I'm more than happy to wait for that to come out in my home theater. But um, I feel like women talking in the Fable ones are going to be a big part of the conversation next Sunday. I might try and catch those somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Spielberg... Oh, Dubai, I, think, right? I think Spielberg has a really good shot. I hope he has a good shot at winning. I don't think he's going to win Best Picture, but I think he has a pretty good shot at winning Best Director. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, and yes, those are both out on demand. You should be able to find them somewhere. Um, and they're both well worth your time. Women Talking in particular, although not technically a Canadian production, um, Sarah Polly is a Canadian national treasure, so I will support you watching that regardless. Yeah. I, it's um, weird. I, I think Everything Ever All at Once would be my choice for best picture because it is a phenomenal movie and it deserves everything it gets. But there, there's just something very fitting if Top Gun got best picture. I just feel like it did I mean, so honestly, for the industry and it's such a great film. And to have an action movie win best picture hasn't happened for a long time. And I would be quite happy about that. I wonder what the last action movie that I know for sure was like an action movie that won would have been what, like Gladiator? I'd have to look at the winners. I would I would not describe Gladiator as an action movie in the same way that Top Gun Maverick is. I mean, that's about as, about as close as you're going to get. Did Although I will that? say, I will say that if they're willing to give Russell Crowe best actor for a sword and sandal epic, then they can give anyone best picture. Like does superhero movies, <laughs> horror movies, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Uh, that's not an action movie. Argo's not an action movie. Ooh, yeah, famous Ray action, win? the famous action movie, the King's speech. <laughs> Did that really win? Did that win best picture? King's speech. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Uh, and no, uh, Mad Max lost to Spotlight in 2015. Spotlight. Which, uh, Spotlight's a great movie. I don't actually hold any ill will towards that. So that's a good win. Uh, Hurt Locker is more of a drama than an action film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess The Lord of the Rings is more of an epic than an action film. Yeah, yeah. Gladiator was 2000. That's about the nearest thing yeah. to an action film that's won huh. in this century so as a as a big fan of the action genre it would make me quite happy for such a very blatant heart on its sleeve action movie to win best picture that would make me really happy so i have two things to say about that one would be that like if we're going to talk about the films that captured the zeitgeist then rrr should have a best picture nomination and it doesn't Mm -hmm. um but also yeah i think that i don't i would be i would not be unhappy if top gun won it definitely Again, captured captured the zeitgeist in a way that most of these other films kind of didn't, uh, and you know, really, it did for better or for worse. No matter how you want to frame it, it did it did get butts back in seats in cinemas. So, yeah, why not give it the best picture award? Mm-hmm. It's interesting that All Quiet has got a best international film and a best picture nomination. I thought that was usually one or the other. No, it happens all I the time. Realize- Oh, like okay. Par- Parasite famously won both of those things two, oh, two years ago. Okay, it shows how ago. much I was paying attention. Excellent. Yeah. And like um, right on the pulse. Roma, Roma, uh, a year or two before that, it won Best right. International, but it was nominated for Best Picture as well, if memory right. serves. Oh, okay. Um, have you seen? I guess you. Ha- I know for a fact you haven't seen. I guess you've seen four of the Best Director nominees. You've seen Banshees, and have you seen Triangle. Banshees? You've- See Banshee, yeah. seen Triangle, and yeah, you've seen everything seen. except the Fablemans. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any undeserving nominee in that category. I think I kind of hope Spielberg takes it, but um, with the Daniels as my second choice, but I don't 
I don't think any. I wouldn't be unhappy with any of them. Yeah. The, I mean, the the actress categories are the ones that I think are the toughest to call. Like they're the 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 most competitive this year. Like so, for best actor, you have Colin Farrell and Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser and Paul Mescal and Bill Nighy, and. Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell is having maybe the best year of his career. He's won a whole bunch of the awards leading up to this, but so is Austin Butler and Austin Butler is playing Elvis. So that's exactly the kind of thing that typically wins. Mm. I'd, I'd honestly be, wouldn't be surprised if Bill Nighy pulled out like a, you know, Mark Rylance win where he's sort of everybody's second mm. choice. Sort of yeah. <laughs> um, and same with best supporting actor. Like so those ones, like it's going to be, I think it's going to be Farrell or Butler and with best supporting, I think mm. it's going to be, Kihoi Kwan, like, because who mm-hmm. else would it be at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless they give it to Judd Hirsch for similar, you know, legacy reasons. But like, mm-hmm. best actress, Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, like, how, like, I know you didn't like Tar, but like, as, as performance, like, the, I don't see, that's a, that's a near impossible choice to make. And they've been splitting those, the awards down the middle the whole time. So just from like an odds perspective, like I don't think, I don't think Ana de Armas has a has a real chance. Andrea Riceboro definitely doesn't have a real chance, even though she's pretty good in that movie. Uh And Michelle Williams is just in the wrong category. Um, and then best supporting actress you have Angela Bassett, Hong Chao, Carrie Condon, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Stephanie Hsu, and like that's an impossible choice. Like all of those. Hong Chao's in the best supporting. Yeah, for the whale. For, the, oh, not not for many. Yeah the the whale is I think the only I guess I haven't seen Living so the the whale and Living are the only the only things that have a major nomination that I haven't seen. I think the only thing that could truly make me slightly angry in this Oscars, I, I'm pretty cool with everything else, but the the fact that Jenny Curtis and Stephanie Hsu both have supporting actress nominations. And I think Stephanie Hsu in that movie is not just good. I think she's the actual, like, central hub. The reason why everything else works is because of her performance in that movie. And Jamie Lee Curtis is is always great. Like, I've got nothing against Jamie Lee Curtis, but uh, I'd be... um, I I think she'll probably win, actually, Jamie Lee Curtis for this, but I think it should be Stephanie Hsu. I think it should be Stephanie Sue as well. I think Angela Bassett's going to win, personally. Oh yeah, no, that's good with a question. with an outside chance for Carrie Condon in Banshees of Inisherin, and that's based on like, like the same for the, for the, Angela Bassett for effectively the same reasons as Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, a she's wonderful mm-hmm. in in Black Panther, and also it's a it's a bit of a legacy thing. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, uh, but. Carrie Condon won the BAFTA. Uh, Carrie Condon great. has won a couple of other awards. And Jamie Lee Curtis has won at least one other award, too. I think she might have won the SAG, if memory serves. I don't have it in front of me. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie Sue won last night. She won Best Breakout Performance uh, at the Independent Spirit Awards. So, But I think I think right. it'll I think it'll probably be Angela Bassett, is my my guess. But uh, Oscar, Oscar voting lasts all the way until, I think, Wednesday this year. So all, all right. of these late stage wins could have influence on the outcome. So I didn't know who Hong Chao was before the menu and she was so great in that. And we've just watched the episode of uh, poker face with her in that she is so good in as well. And so, um, mm-hmm. uh, 
I, I'm going to try and find out her other stuff. Have you seen The Whale? I know, I guess that's the, the, the Whale. Yeah, The Whale and Living are the only two, the only two with major nominee, nominations that I have not seen. Right, okay. So we'll probably watch The Whale, at least The Whale, this week. Yeah. Because um, it's Good. got more nominations than Living, I think. I'm excited. I'm excited. I do enjoy our Oscars live stream. It's, uh, it's more entertaining than the Oscars. So do tune in, listeners. Yeah. They're also going to be giving um, the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award to Michael J. Fox this year, which is kind of great. Oh, another yeah, another great. Canadian national icon, national treasure. Fantastic. That's yeah. great. Uh, well, now that we've bantered about the rich people giving themselves golden statues, um, shall we move on to talking about some stuff? Let's do that. Right. Well, Absolutely. this week, this week we are chasing the dragon that is the algorithm. We're going to be talking about a Marvel movie and a Star Wars <laughs> thing. Um, we better get some down numbers after this one. Yeah. So let's start out with the slightly older thing. We both finally had the chance to watch Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, the latest Marvel project. And um, Simon, why don't you take us through a brief synopsis of the plot? Okay. Of so, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So, at the beginning of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Scott Lang is dealing with his... Uh, he, he's famous for being an Avenger now, for saving the world. And he's written a book, and basically his life is now book tours and people giving him free coffee and having photos with their dogs and things. And um, his daughter, now grown-up daughter, uh, Cassie, now played by Catherine Newton, who is a wonderful actor, I love her, um, is getting into the kind of trouble that he used to get in um, doing, uh, but this time trying to stick up for the little guy uh, by helping homeless people and getting in trouble with the police. And basically, um, he's he's upset with her for getting arrested and, and stuff, but she's trying to fight back, saying that he doesn't really help anyone anymore. He just does his book tours. Turns out Cassie's been, <laughs> in the interim, has been researching... Uh, Uncle Hank's uh, quantum stuff and has been researching the quantum zone and uh, has developed a map into the quantum zone, which in secret, so she secretly became this genius, which is very convenient. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer didn't know this. Michelle Pfeiffer is very unhappy because there's she's never talked about the things that happened in the quantum zone. And uh, evidently there was a lot more that happened down there than she let on. And we find this out because wouldn't you know it, the map uh, sends out a signal and something tracks the signal and drags them all into the quantum zone. And that's within the first 10 minutes of this movie. They are dragged into this um, uh, late 90s Star Wars prequel level CG uh, quantum world. That If you've seen the other Ant-Man movies and seen the quantum world, um, then... Um, great but if you haven't seen them don't worry because it doesn't look or act like that at all anymore apparently they didn't look deep enough last time and this is the super deep <laughs> super this is the ultra quantum zone where you can breathe without a helmet and um there's gravity and all kinds of things but uh and and when they're down there they they find uh, various collections of people and technology and civilizations who all exist in this like bubble universe between space and time and then they, of course, discover the antagonist, which is a Kang, 
Kang the Conqueror, who has been stranded down there and has gone a bit loopy, um, exerting his power and uh, mad with power. And now Janet's back. He wants revenge uh, because she shrunk his special battery, which would enable him to get out. Uh, or not shrunk, she actually made it massive and he needs Scott to uh, do stuff that's going to reduce his battery to a normal size in this tiny quantum world so he can fly out and hijinks ensue. That was a pretty good summary, I thought. I mean, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> I mean, that's the entirety of the movie. There's, There's... I mean, there's more to it than that, but yeah, that's that's the basics wow. of it. Like they they yeah, go to a place. There's a MacGuffin, and yeah. Kang Kang kid gets takes Cassie prisoner and makes Scott do a bad thing to save his daughter, and then they manage to win in the end. It's pretty yeah. standard superhero movie fare. Mm-hmm. Like the basic the basic plot of this movie is one that you have definitely seen before, uh, in terms of like the basic you know, journey that the heroes go on uh, right down to like, you know, we're revisiting the past of a character whose past we didn't previously know. And we're looking more deeply into, you know, a place where they were. It's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty standard. I will say that. So we're pretty late in reviewing this movie. It's been out for a couple of weeks now and it's the, the first Marvel movie that is actually apparently just certified rotten on rotten tomatoes. And I will say that I don't really get that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't. Just to be clear, I don't think this movie is great. I don't think it's bad though. Like I don't. I don't get what makes this one stand out. I think I texted you earlier that like, or when I finished it, I texted you and I was like, "Look, I, I don't think this is Thor Ragnarok good, but I don't think it's Thor: The Dark World boring either. You know, it's it's yeah. uh, it's a perfectly fine." straight up the middle double which is what marvel is honestly best at like it feels like ever since endgame since phase three of the marvel cinematic universe and since endgame in particular everyone who's complaining has really well not everyone that's generalizing but a lot of the people who are complaining especially on like the tiktoks and whatnot are just expecting every film to up the stakes more and more and be more and be endgame over and over and over again and I will say that this movie sort of tries to do that. It definitely abandons the low-stakes charm of the first two Ant-Man movies. Um, yeah. But, like, there's there's some, there's some there's way worse films in the MCU, guys. There's way more. I will say that it's not good, but I was never truly bored. And I've been bored in MCU films before. So yeah, I, that's, that's my hot take. So I've seen it twice, and the first time I saw it, I actually enjoyed it quite a lot for what it is um, in, in that it's a very, it's kind of, someone just described it as being a bit like Kroll, that when it, when Star Wars came out and everyone tried to make their own sci-fi hero's journey, and it feels a bit like one of those uh, movies that came out when all the Star Wars prequels came out with the same uh, level, like the CG is not great, it's quite flat. It actually reminded me a lot of uh, Men in Black CG, which is kind of um, in that movie, it worked because it was it was meant to be kind of stereotypical and superficial. But it, it it's fine. It um, there's some interesting character uh, designs in this, but they're not none of them are really developed. But um, so the first time I watched, it, I was like, yeah, it's a pretty enjoyable like sci-fi movie. But the the reason I watch 
especially the second Ant-Man movie over and over. My family does too, is that it's uh, the first two Ant-Man movies are low stakes heist movies that are funny and quirky and really dynamically shot. And this isn't really any of those. It goes a bit more serious. It's big stakes. There's no, no, they try to tie in a heist, but it's not really a heist and it's fine. It's an enjoyable movie, but, um, it's really interesting to watch my kids' reaction after my second viewing and their first viewing. And they were kind of just like ambivalent about the whole thing. Like yeah. they they uh they really love the other movies and it was fine. And if when it pops up on Disney Plus, I'm sure we'll watch it again. But um they haven't talked about it once, like since we came out. And that's what really struck me on my second viewing is that there's a lot in this film. And almost none of it is developed at all past surface level. Like there's some really interesting sci-fi character stuff going on, and it, it's it's nothing is scraped into beyond a very very uh, superficial. It level. does it does feel overstuffed. I will I will yeah. say that there's definitely they're yeah. you know they're trying to cram. I feel like the reason it feels a bit shallow to you and. I'm sure, honestly, this when I ever get to watch it a second time, probably when it's on Disney Plus, um, I'll probably feel the same because there's just so much stuff. There's not really time to fully develop Absolutely. any of it. Um, and like, there's there's and there's some fun stuff. Like William Jackson Harper is in this movie, and he's a really good actor, and he's a really like really good comedic timing, and he does have a couple of really good one-liners, but he's just there. He's not. There's not really a reason for him to be there. There's so many supporting characters within the quantum realm that, yeah, just none of it is really developed to the full extent that it could be. I will say that you know the character of Modok is in this, and that is not a character that I really honestly thought I would ever see in live action. Um, yeah, I because it's, I mean, it's just a just a giant floating head, and. And his name's an acronym for, uh, was it Mechanized Organism Designed Only for Killing? Which, and I will say there's a great line in the movie where where Scott finally points out what I've been saying since I was like 10, which is that that's, you know, Mechanized Organism Designed Only for Killing. That's, that's (laughs) MODOK. MODOK. MODOK are the best, are the best jokes. And I don't know anything about MODOK, but I know that his like canon comic, um, uh, origin is is different. They changed it for the movie, and they did. They made a choice for the. Oh, movie. it's a, and it's I, a different, it's a different it, character. Yeah, I, I think it works really, really well. Um, uh, I, I, the funniest parts of this movie are Modok uh, interacting with Scott and Cassie, and the jokes around who that character is and how they became that character are the funniest parts of the film, for sure. Yeah, and I will, there's, I mean. I've read that some of the some of the things that are being criticized about the movie are the screenplay, which again, yeah, it's kind of shallow, but it's yeah. it's it's fun, and there's a number of really good singers, and Michael Douglas is clearly having just the best time being cranky Michael Douglas again. Okay. I thought that Paul Rudd was really good uh, as mm-hmm. the like father trying to reconnect with the daughter, who's effectively just him, you know, rewound twenty years or whatever, right? Like it's um. And I also thought that, uh, and Jonathan Majors is just, he's so good. Like, I don't know, like, Jonathan Majors is about to win the year 2023. He is in this, 
He's in an, a Sundance movie called Magazine Dreams, in which he is phenomenal. And he's he's in the latest Creed movie, which I don't know when I'm going to get to see, but it's one of my most anticipated movies of the year. He's going to have a hell of a year. And this is part of that. Um, he is yeah. so good as the, like, slightly off, you know, Kang the Conqueror, the one in some, in some ways the same as Thanos, being at one point he literally says basically the same thing where he's like i need to fix the world and someone else is like and you're the only one who can see it's broken right like we've been through this before buddy (laughs) um but he's so he's so good as the sort of like he's so like disaffected and slightly loopy from being down in the quantum realm for so long yeah i really like how he injected some sadness into it i think a lesser actor would have really gone for scene chewing and and there is some like he he waits until the the last part of this movie to really unleash and get angry. But when he's talking to people, there's a lot of he feels really hurt. He's been let down by a mul- like an infinite versions of himself. He's been let down by Janet, and he, uh, he he's been let down by others that don't share his vision. But it just turns into anger. And I think he for a Marvel for a very superficial Marvel movie as this is. I think he really stands out as a, a, a very, he gives a really nuanced and deep like performance for what could be a very yeah. superficial character. He's very, very good. I mean, Jonathan Majors being cast as Kang in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be the gift that keeps on giving because there's a literally an infinite number of versions. Even if they just went with like the major canonical versions of Kang, that gives them more than a dozen to work with because his whole thing is that he, every version of him is a different variant from a different choice in a different timeline, uh, which is spoiler alert. You get to see the council of Kangs in the post credit scene. And it's, 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 yeah. it's pretty great. It's pretty great to see so many different versions of Kang just on screen at one time. Yeah. And it means we're going to get a different Jonathan majors performance every time we see him, which is going to be great. <laughs> We've already had two really good performances by him uh, as this character. I will say something that I've noticed. We've seen Kang twice now, once at the end of Loki and once in Quantumania. And both times their main message has been, you think I'm bad, but the one that's coming later is worse. And I I I hope we don't, I hope that's done now. Like we know that there's a or a number of bad Kangs coming. Like, I don't need every Kang now to go, well, I'm only doing this because the next one's worse. I, I don't need that to be their motivation now. We've seen that twice now. So yeah. it's an interesting motivation. And it's an interesting idea that the end of this movie plays with. Like, maybe did we do the right thing in stopping this Kang if he's his whole reason for existence was trying to stop a worse Kang? Like, did I do the right thing? So that's an interesting angle. But we've seen it twice now. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I mean, the next, uh, the next Avengers movie is called the Kang dynasty. And my expect, my, my guess, um, is that it'll be multiple versions of Kang that are the bad guy. Like it won't be just one. It'll be, it'll be one at a time in the like solo movies that he appears in, but in the Avengers one, I bet it'll be at least three. You know, like. So, give me some spoilers from the comics. How on earth do you stop an infinite being 
across infinite versions of himself. Is there is it an Ultron situation where there's one Kang that is like the Hive Kang that if you kill that one Kang, will the other Kang no. stop? Like how do they how do they kill him in the comics? Over and over again. Oh, he just doesn't. It's just like persistent. No, and the major hook, if you're a comic book reader, one of the major hooks about Kang is that every version of him is quite different. Um, and because he comes from multiple variant timelines, so um, <clears throat> you see a couple of these in the post-credits scene, um, but there's one version of Kang that like went back in time and ruled Egypt for a while, and his name is Rama Tut. Um, mm-hmm. There's a version of Kang, because so Kang is actually, in the comic books, is like a 31st, 31st century descendant of Reed Richards. And there's yeah. a version who, like, when he's 20 or something, or 15, like, learns he's going to grow up to be a villain, and then goes back in times and basically becomes young Iron Man for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's every version of Kang you could possibly imagine basically has existed, and they're all quite different. And uh, that uh, that is going to be the, the great strength. Again, that, like, it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. I was wondering if yes. this is a hint towards the casting of Mr. Fantastic with the Fantastic Four coming out. If we've got a, a black man as Nathaniel Richards, if they're keeping it kind of that he's the son of Reed Richards, then that, that might give us a clue as to who they're casting as, um, as Reed, maybe. Is that is that overthinking it? I mean, maybe. Um, you know, I think... Uh... I think that a thousand year difference is, is enough for that to maybe have changed. But um, <laughs> until we knew my, my guess was going to be that like that he would, before we knew what was going to happen in at all in phase four, um, Kang was one of the ones that I had thought would probably be the next big bad. And I thought they would just make it so that he was a descendant of Tony of, of Tony Stark instead of Reed Richards. But now that right. they also have the rights to um, FF, to the Fantastic Four, I assume that yeah, he'll just still be uh, a descendant of Reed Richards. One of the is, casting is my guess. Room, one of the casting rumors before this movie was for Reed Richards was William Jackson Harper, which I think would have been a fantastic choice. But mm-hmm. now he's kind of they've kind of blown that now, <laughs> and they can't. Yeah, they can't really. I think it's super interesting him. that they've been apparently they've been talking to Dev Patel. Like that'd be a really good choice too. Oh, really? Yeah. That would be a great. Yeah, yeah. That would be really good. I wonder I don't think he'd do it, but yeah, that would be a great casting choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to circle back, I think like this movie's fine. This movie's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't really even have I didn't really even have that much of a problem with the CG. Like there's a lot of it and some of it becomes a bit like soup in the background, but like Yeah. It's fine. It's nothing I haven't it's seen fine. before. Nothing I haven't seen before and done worse. I've definitely seen it done a lot worse. Like this is not great, but it's not bad. And I don't get it. It's kind of flat to me. Like I've mentioned Men in Black. I thought a lot about um, John Carter as well. John Carter of Mars, the the live action one with what's his face. Yeah, with Taylor Kitsch. Yeah, kind of flat. And it makes you really appreciate, like say what you want about George Lucas, but that man can build a world and make it feel real through computer animation, through models and whatever. And it yeah, felt like kind of weirdly flat. And there's a lot of, a lot of running into the camera 
away from blue screens. Like that happens a lot <laughs> of real yeah. people running in front of blue screens and it's quite noticeable. But for, I agree with you for the most part, it's totally fine. Yeah. Um, so well, what would you give it out of? One, I was going to say, how many are you giving it? Because I'm, I'm fine to give it three out of five. Like it's totally fine. I'm, it's so totally fine. I'm, I, I'm conflicted because the first time I watched it, it was a three and then I rewatched it and it really became very stark how empty and underdeveloped it was and it went down to a two. Um, so I think I'm going to go with two stars, which, which breaks my heart because I love uh, the second movie and it just didn't have the depth there that I needed. So two stars from me. Hmm. Interesting. As a side note, how did you find, how did you feel about Cassie Lang being recast? Oh, it's just, a, it's just a Hollywood thing. I, I'm sure Catherine Newton is an experienced actress who is a name, and she's clearly. I think they're probably going for Young Avengers at some point, and so they'll. Need oh, they definitely someone. are. All right, so they'll need someone with a bit of um, name power, and whoever the actress was in Endgame wasn't someone that hasn't is a recognizable name. So I'm fine with it. It's mm-hmm. just a casting thing. True story. The um, in the comic books, let me just Google this to make sure I'm getting it right. Um, but in the comic books, I'm pretty sure that Cassie Lang, whose superhero name is Stature, um, uh, is Stature. romantically romantically involved at one point with Iron Lad, who is the aforementioned young version of Kang, <laughs> who comes back in time. <laughs> To, oh, and is basically like young Iron Man for a while. Oh, comics. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, this movie's fine. I don't. It's. <clears throat> I. I mean, as always, I personally am on team see it for yourself. Uh, but I would say that like, it's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It's fine. It's fine. I, There's I definitely agree. worse ways yeah. to spend. Worse ways to spend an evening. Or an afternoon, you know. It's. I, I, I'll say what I said to you after I watched it the first time. It's not a particularly good Iron Man movie, but it's a really enjoyable late nineties sci-fi movie. Like it's. Well, it's a. Uh, it's, it's probably like, a good thing. It's not a good Iron Man movie because it's an Ant Man movie. Oh God! Why am I getting all my names <laughs> wrong today? Oh, I'm just giving you so much ammunition for. Well, oh. I mean, it's not a great Ant Man movie, but it is a fine. Just edit, just fix it in post. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, they already yeah, just tried it. that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Dub, dub this over, Ant Man. There you go. You can stick that. <laughs> <over around. laughs> uh, no, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep the part where I make fun of it. So. <laughs> okay, deal. Let's Good. go to our next movie. I'm never gonna yeah. watch this film again. So let's move on to our next movie. Awesome. Uh, well, so the next movie is actually a, a show. And again, we're chasing oh, yeah. that algorithm dragon uh, because we <laughs> have been blessed. We had our timelines blessed with the first two episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. Now, season episode one has already aired at the time you're going to be listening to this. So if you're not caught up, please do so. We probably won't be spoiling very much of it, um, but it's we will be discussing... spoil in the first episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, spoiler alert, not a lot happens. Um, but we're going to talk about episode one and episode two. Um, so to catch you up a little bit, episode season three opens with uh, our favorite hunky 
uh, not Boba Fett character, um, paired back with his son, Grogu, Baby Yoda, whatever you want to call him, and uh, seeking redemption for his transgressions as a Mandalorian, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that at one point he took off his helmet and now the other Mandalorians don't want to talk to him anymore. Fucking so bored of that. Yeah. Um, and so he, he asks if he can redeem himself and he learns that if he goes to Mandalore and bathes in the living waters and blah, 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 and can prove that somehow, then they'll forgive him. And so the first two episodes are, are basically like him finding that information and then heading out to Mandalore, basically. And that's basically all that happens. There's not, it's, it's, a, it's, it's pretty slight so far. Um, there's a lot of resets going on. So Grogu's back, yeah, and, it's, it's, and he's like, "I want my, I want this specific robot that died for me. I want that robot back, which apparently I can just do." And yeah, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it was a meaningful sacrifice. I want that robot back, and oh look, here's yeah, here's that robot that you've seen before. It's like, oh Jesus, there's no you, movement in this show. If you didn't watch the Book of Boba Fett, then Parts of it will be confusing because they resolve they resolve part of the the Mandalorian and Grogu's character arc story in an episode of that show. <laughs> I remain convinced that the Mandalorian was only ever meant to be a two season show, and that the Book of Boba Fett was meant to be season three of this show. Like it was meant to be yes. kind of like an anthology thing. But then you know Pedro Pascal and this character got so popular, they decided to scrap that idea. So they basically reset it so Grogu's back with him. Um, he still has the Darksaber. Um, I mean, that's 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 the whole show. He goes to Mandalore and does the thing. My short review of this show is that if you have been enjoying the show, you will continue to do so. Uh, if you are of the opinion that it is empty fan service, that will also continue to be uh, your opinion. It has not changed mm -hmm. even a little bit. And in yeah, fact, there's more, I, there's more fan service in this one because they've started like there's an integration yeah. of admittedly like of the maybe three good things in rise of Skywalker. One of them, there's a fan service moment for in, in the first episode of this. Um, and to be, to be fair, like I, I'm curious to see where it goes because there are some hints that they might start exploring something interesting. And they're very slight hints, but I really, really, really want them to explore the fact that that Din Djarin, which I, I'm just going to say, that I think it's a stupid name. Even for Star Wars, yeah. I think it's a stupid name. But anyway, I really want them to like explore the idea at all that he was raised by a cult, by like an extremist cult. Because he's met many other Mandalorians now who are basically like, bro, you're in a cult. Like, take off your helmet. You're in a cult, you're in a cult, bro. And I really want them, and and it feels like there's a few moments in the first two episodes, and in the second one in particular, where it feels like they might want to go down that road and, and explore it just a little bit. Yeah, I right. don't have a lot of faith that they will. But like it's just enough to be like, I kind of want to find out if they do. You know what I mean? It is getting to yeah, I, I totally agree, and it's getting to the point now where it's so obvious that he's in a cult and being brainwashed, and it, and the story is so 
focused on him trying to get his quote-unquote redemption in the living waters of Mandalore so he can atone for his discretion. So like, he is so... It's hard to root for someone who is so brainwashed and so stupid when you've got Bo-Katan, who is a badass, clearly, who is able to swing the Darksaber around like it weighs nothing, <laughs> whereas yeah. he is unable to lift it at all, which is, again, just stupid but it's hard well, to root is... for a main character the show the show really wants you to root for this character who's a fucking dumbass and every every part of this series that what, tried to be pr- progress anywhere has just been reset piece by piece yeah. and it's just the same bloody show it's treading the same stupid things about him oh i took my helmet off once i don't care like literally at all the other mandalorians take the helmets off like this is a this is a moment where we finally get to see Pedro Pascal's handsome face doing some acting, because the helmet doesn't matter anymore. But no, we have to tread the stupid, like atone for this bullshit. I'm so bored with it, and it's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, it occurs to me as well that like in in the other places in Star Wars where the dark saber has been used, namely the Clone Wars and in um rebels it's basically said that if you if you're a mandalorian and you possess the dark saber then you're basically the monarch of mandalore like you are the mandalorian at that point and din Djarin has the dark saber like he has it and so if they're like you took off your helmet you're a mandalorian no longer he could i mean honestly couldn't he just like hold up the dark saber and be like actually uh-huh. Um, I took off my helmet so I could look my son in the eye, and I have this. Like, I, I'm just I'm just spitballing here. Like, he could do that, right? Like, I'm not crazy. I feel, I feel yeah. It There's feels all like law. All this bullshit law, law, <laughs> L-O-R-E law, has come from. A side character who was just a bounty hunter, so we didn't we didn't see him with his helmet off because he was always working. It's like what seeing making a show about a McDonald's worker who refuses to take off their McDonald's uniform because you only ever saw them serve McDonald's. Like yeah. it was just it was just his armor. There was no suggestion that it was a religious thing or a cultural thing. He was just some dude wearing armor, one of millions of dudes wearing armor. And it's just, I'm so bored with the elevation of Mandalore as being this like important thing where the, the helmets of this cultural identity and it, which also makes no sense. And it's very unhealthy. I just, for skincare, it's very unhealthy. It <laughs> must be pasty as fuck under there. No vitamin D at all. I mean, they can travel at light speed. I'm sure they've figured out basic skincare. <laughs> But have they, the, when do they apply it though? Do they? Oh, it's just, uh, he has to drink. When he has a drink, he has to tip his stupid helmet up and take little sips under his helmet. Like well, they when he, eats, when he, he always he always eats alone. I guess too. Oh my god! It's just uh, at this point, I just don't care. Pedro Pascal is a brilliant actor, and you've got him under these layers. And most of the time, it's Clint Eastwood's. Well grandson anyway or if it's still that guy doing it um the and and it looks really good like disney uh disney streaming is very high quality and the audio is really good the design is fantastic 
Favreau and Filoni know how to design something that looks good, something Star Wars-y that looks good. But everything else is just, oh, I'm so bored of the fan service, especially after Andor. After yeah. Andor showed us like what you can do if you don't want to be fan servicing, you don't care about legacy, and you just want to make good stories like Tony Kushner, uh, not Tony Kushner, Tony uh, God, Gilroy. Gilroy, thank you, who openly has said, I don't give a shit about Star Wars lore. I just want to make a good story. And this show is so obsessed with every fucking detail being something you recognize. Even the new robot now is, oh, of course, it's that robot from before. Yeah. Like, just who who cares? It's interesting, too, been... because Filoni, who very famously behind Clone Wars and most of the animated stuff in the last, like, two decades, really, uh, but like in Clone Wars and in Rebels, there was a lot of fan service, but it was always sort of in service to story, like the story they were trying to tell. And this sort of still feels like the other way around to me. You know, like it's very much, I say this every time I watch an episode, I think I end up texting you that, I, hey, I just watched the latest episode of fan service of Star Wars. <laughs> yes. You know, At like. time, and you were right. <clears throat> And I the feel like it's, it's weird because sorry. because Filoni is so able has in the past been so able to to balance that like making something fan servicey but also stand on its own and I don't quite get why this one doesn't do that better. The worst thing that happened is that Grogu became a toy because if you remember when Mandalorian came out there was this big gap between Grogu going absolutely all at that point, baby Yoda going stratospheric in the public consciousness. And there was a three or four month gap before anyone could buy anything in any Disney store that looked like Grogu because they had no anticipation that it would be needed to be a toy. And suddenly they realized, holy shit, we've got a product that people want to buy. And I get the feeling that uh, there was, there was the end to the lone wolf and cub, arc where he delivers grogu he does his job you got fine bring back luke take take the yoda go and be luke and yoda fine like to bring to reset that reset any hope of this story doing anything interesting and at that point they could have removed like given him something new to do and given him the impetus and the motivation to take his damn helmet off and we would have had a more interesting show I mean, I feel like they're sort of driving at that now with him, like, you know, actively understanding that he is this child's father. But I think we've all forgotten that Grogu is also 50 years old, right? That, like, how are they going to resolve this arc ever? Like, that that baby's going to be a baby for, like, I mean, Yoda was 900 and change years old at the end of the original trilogy. (laughs) So, like, how, like... I where don't is know. Grogu? Where is Grogu in the prequel trilogy? Where's Grogu in any of the movies and and things that follow up? And well, where's 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 any? To be fair, where is any of that species anywhere? Other but, than just but there's like Yoda, and in the books there was another one. There's only two. Well, they've already they've already established that he's a rare like species, so that's fine. And they they had that out when they've given him to Luke. Like maybe Luke decided to hide him because he's too powerful. Maybe he he was just too much. Uh, or maybe whatever the emperor there was this thread about the emperor using him to clone himself which seems to have been completely put by the by as well but now they've brought him back they've they've reopened this problem well we we've either got to get rid of grogu uh, like in a way that doesn't make every child in the country cry when they realize 
they can't kill Grogu and they can't have Grogu exist by the end of this show. So now they've they've painted themselves into that corner again. Yeah, I mean, because ultimately, not... if he'd stayed with Luke, then he would have died before the events of right the, the sequel trilogy. Because right? Kylo Ren destroyed the the New Jedi Temple. Oh, Kylo Ren kills Grogu. Yeah. Is a is a canon explanation I would get behind. Yeah, but we're. I mean, oh, that's not very fan servicey though. That's not very merchandisable. <laughs> oh. Even though we as a society venerate the fascist bad guys of this universe way too much. Just like way like I'm just I'm just gonna go ahead and say this. Space (laughs) Hitler is too popular. I'm (laughs) like maybe we I I get that maybe like, you know, we love Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I even get loving Anakin Skywalker, but Space Wizard like Space Wizard Hitler is too popular. Uh, He's the bad guy, you know? It's uh Anyway, but people want to see him do his shit because he's cool. Uh, oh well. I mean, so, at I the end know. of the day, Disney's most of Disney's revenue comes from places like merch and parks and yeah, and, and stuff like that. Anyway, absolutely. so massive percentage. It's massive. Yeah, it's a whole. Um, it's a whole thing. I, I, I don't feel any kind of excitement or anticipation for a new episode of the mandalorian dropping like i mean i'll get round to it when i have lunch at some point (laughs) because i just i don't have i don't have any hope anymore that this show is gonna even try to 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 learn from andor in any way at all it's like they've just made obviously the production schedules they can't change it based on the success of Andor but it's fine if you want a more classic Star Wars show that's fine but you've got you've got to find stories in it like the the books now that are non-canon they're very quality but they always found a way to tell new stories that's where Thrawn came from and this isn't this isn't I mean they're just using anything interesting all those um all those novels and stuff they declared non-canon. They're just they're just cherry picking the best ideas out of yes. them now, which I mean, fair enough. Um, what I would say is, I think it, and maybe I'm wrong, but it does feel like the show itself has more, just visually speaking, has more depth than it did previously. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if they learned a little bit from Andor to maybe stop using digital backgrounds quite so much. Either that, or the digital backgrounds have gotten just a lot better in the past couple of years Maybe. because because it does to, to my eye it does look better than it used to it um, does feel like they're using less capital v volume backgrounds but it, yeah that, so hopefully that is indicative of them improving like as long as our eyes are full that's the only important thing isn't it but it yeah. does felt it just it did feel a bit more uh, physical for sure yeah but i don't know it's fine how many so we watched the first i i don't i always have a hard time I can't, I'm not going to rate the whole series. I'm just going to, you know, but the two that we've seen, what would you give them? Yeah. What would you give them out of five? And uh, feel free to rate them separately or together, whichever way you uh, want to do They're both like, I'm going to lump them in together in two. Nothing happened. The first episode is actually notable because almost nothing happens. And I don't mean in like, oh, there should be some action to move the story forward. I mean, like the, the meaning of the word drama is something happens and nothing happens in the first episode apart from him deciding I want to reset this I want this robot back and this and and 
And when it ended, I was actually quite surprised because I was like, there's no way that's the end of an entire episode because nothing happens. Uh, but And the second one is a bit more happens and Bo-Katan's cool and everything. But uh, reference, reference, uh, two stars. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I would say that I think the second episode is better than the first. Um, so I guess if I'm going to rate them together, it's still a two. You're right. If I rate them separately, then it'd be two and three for the second one. But it's all distance. It's all, you know, very first acty, and um, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I'll be, again, I, again, I, my my hot take here, my my scalding hot take is what I said before. I think if you if you've been watching The Mandalorian and you've been enjoying The Mandalorian to date, you will continue to do yeah. so. So if this show is yeah. your jam, I'm super happy for you. It's going to continue to be your jam. If you're looking for something more from Star Wars, this is not going to be a place you're going to find it. All signs point to this, for sure. I'd be pleasantly surprised if this decides to make some waves and actually do something, but I don't hold out any hope whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Good. Well, okay. that's, um, so, that's two, two Disney product projects down. So hopefully mm-hmm. um, we'll move on to something more, something else next week. I don't know what it's going to be just yet. Um, Maybe it's our Oscars show next week, right? Or are we going to do two? We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Let's we'll talk about it another time. Um, but yeah, something will be... Well, we'll be back next week, anyway. Yes, <laughs> um, one way or another. One way or another. Um, we've already had our break week for the quarter, so... Um, <laughs> uh, so let, we're going to call it there, I think. Thank you so much for listening. If you're uh, new here, welcome. And if you are, if you've been listening for a while, thank you so much for sticking around. We very much appreciate you and everything you do. If, if you like what you've heard, please consider smashing that like or subscribe button or giving us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. Those things all help uh, immeasurably. Uh, and so would telling your friends. Just tell tell two friends. And maybe they'll tell no, two tell friends. Them all. And no, I mean... Okay, <laughs> well, what's the game of telling? Yeah, play, tell, tell a median amount of your friends. How about that? Um, <laughs> and then they can tell a median amount of their friends. Come on, and so nobody on. knows the difference between medium and average these days. That's... Uh... No, that's median with an N, which means the middle. Yes, yes um, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we do, if you want to support us more directly, we do have a Patreon and a Kofi. You can find the Patreon at patreon.com slash mcsimpson uh, because it was originally mine and now it's the show's. And um, yeah, uh, you can find us on the socials. I am at Matthew AF and Simon is at Temporary Pen and the show is at Awesome Friday CA. Uh, we record this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. Uh, one more time, thank you so much for joining us on this awesome Friday. Thank you. Bye-bye.